Hi everyone, and welcome to the Loopcast. So today we have a very interesting paper, very informative, and it's from our friends at CNA Corporation, and we've had a lot of their analysts on the show before. Today we're going to be looking at a new paper titled Rethinking the U.S. Approach to Boko Haram, the Case for a Regional Strategy. And I'm very happy to have one of the authors on the show today that will be discussing this um, fantastic piece of work. So today we have Julia McQuaid on the show, and she is a political military analyst and a project director in CNA Corporation's Center for Stability and Development. So first of all, thank you for coming on the show, Julia. Great, great. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Just for our listeners, uh, CNA is not an acronym, and it is correctly referenced as CNA Corporation, and it is a nonprofit research and analysis organization that is located in Arlington, Virginia. So I do recommend our listeners checking out their website because they do analysis on so many different topics. But today we're looking at Boko Haram. So first of all, Julia, how did this study come about, and who are the results for? Sure. So um, this is a study that we did for um, U.S. Naval Forces Africa, which um, is the naval component uh, to U.S. Forces Africa Command, commonly referred to as AFRICOM. And so what they asked us to do, so rewind about a year ago, was they were tasked with writing a um, supporting campaign plan um, for AFRICOM's theater uh, plan for Africa. Um, looking at West Africa, the Gulf of Guinea region. And one of the issues that they were, you know, going to have to take on was the issue of terrorist organizations, violent extremist organizations. Um, and so Boko Haram at the time um, was beginning to emerge as kind of, you know, uh, the most significant problem uh, or organization within that problem. So they reached out to us really to try to have us help them better understand um, Boko Haram. What is it? You know, what is it? Just an organization? Is it a terrorist organization? Is it a broader conflict? Um, you know, these types of questions. And then, kind of, once we established to help them establish, you know, a, a more in-depth understanding, um, then to t- start to take a look at how the U.S. Um, government should approach it. So, um, you know, our our, our 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 recommendations, our findings. Um, you know, are really tailored for Africa Command and its supporting component commands. Um, but then also, um, you know, because the U.S. government has taken a interagency approach to the Boko Haram problem set, um, our recommendations really, um, we believe, have some resonance for kind of any element within the U.S. government um, dealing with um, this organization. So to start off with, why don't you describe for our listeners Boko Haram in a nutshell and its objectives? Sure. So, um, you know, before I kind of jump into that, um, our first step in our analysis, and CNA is a very kind of analytic methodology-driven organization, so we we had a very detailed um, analytic approach to this question. And the first step in that methodology was to take a look at the conflict itself. Um, and so rather than doing kind of, um, you know, a very detailed analysis of Boko Haram, the organization, we looked at the broader conflict. And so we kind of built a framework that allowed us to look at, you know, which are the various actors involved in this conflict? What is the context out of which this conflict this, or in this organization grew? Um, 
And so there's a whole bunch of factors that we took into, um, into consideration in looking at this. And then this allowed us to kind of make a, an assessment or a diagnosis of really what the conflict is and what Boko Haram is. Um, and that was actually the first publication that came out of our work, um, which is separate from the one that we're actually talking about today, but we do have a separate publication just on an assessment of the conflict. And kind of our bottom line findings there was that Boko Haram is an insurgent group or a revolutionary insurgent group. Um, you know, its ultimate goals, and, and there's some debate about this because a lot about the organization is fairly opaque, but that, you know, we believe that the organization is looking to overthrow uh, the government of Nigeria and establish an Islamic uh, government or an Islamic state. Um, so we know that they use kind of classic guerrilla tactics um, and terrorism. Um, and, uh, you know, and so this is kind of kind of what, what we think of what the group is. And I think what's important to understand from that is what that allowed us to do is to make the decision distinction between Boko Haram being kind of the manifestation of a global jihadi group just operating in Nigeria. So, for example, a branch of Al-Qaeda, you know, just operating in Nigeria, which is what the government of Nigeria's narrative is on the group. But if you think of it as an insurgency, um, you know, you need to think about underlying root causes and grievances and tensions, and these are things that are unique to Nigeria that we uncovered about Nigeria um, that suggests that it is, it, is, it is certainly more than just kind of a branch of a global terrorist organization and much more of, a, of an insurgent issue. So you just said a really key word to me, the underlying root causes. So what are the sources of tension and what are the conflict drivers in this situation? What, what got us from a to be now, right. So, um, so this is this is a, this is a complicated complicated question, um, and and in our conflict assessment, we delve into you know a whole host of these issues, and you know they fall into you know your kind of basic political, social, and economic categories. Um, certainly, um, you know one of the bigger ones is kind of economic issues at play um, within Nigeria, which. Um, Basically, if you look at kind of the history of Nigeria, the discovery of oil in the 1950s, which was a great economic boom to Nigeria. Prior to that, the North was kind of um, economically very active, um, agriculture, industry. But after the discovery of oil, um, long story short, a lot of those activities in the North were replaced with kind of export activities. So a lot of that economic activity in the North dried up leaving um, folks, you know, without jobs, without economic opportunity, um, you know, and fast forward to today, you have high unemployment rates, lots of under, underemployed and unemployed youth populations, um, you know, it's it trickled down to where the infrastructure hasn't been maintained, it hasn't been grown over time. And so what, what, what we see today is a very, very um, uh, distinct economic difference between folks living in the North and living in the South. Um, where I've heard people say, you know, other analysts describe it as, you know, folks in the South living in more of the modern world and kind of in the North, you know, you're in a much more kind of primitive economic um, milieu, so to speak. And so this has been something that, um, you know, has been a driving factor um, for the organization in terms of people's re resentment towards the federal government, 
um, lack of economic opportunities and 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 Boko Haram and actually other militants have been able to kind of feed off of this. But looking at that, um, this tension with the government and the people of Nigeria, I mean, if you look at the attacks that Boko Haram has done, even just recently, a lot of them actually are on their own population, the Nigerian people. So what is the relationship with Boko Haram and the general in Nigeria that has no government affiliation whatsoever? I mean, we have these kidnappings. So how do they see Boko Haram? I mean, do they really see them as some liberator or is this just another group that's just creating more destruction and death in their country? So I think, and I think that's a complicated question, you know, in terms of um, getting on the ground and really getting the pulse of kind of, you know, what people think. Um, that's going to be, I think, something that's, I mean, difficult in any country just because it's going to be such a wide spectrum, right? But I think that there's a couple of generalizations that we could probably make. And, and one of them is kind of, you know, the idea that um, Boko Haram, you know, has taken such violent measures that have resulted in such high civilian casualties you know, our analysis of the conflict and what we saw um, in our research is that, you know, this has resulted in, um, you know, kind of the, the population within the north, you know, has, has not kind of, um, you know, fallen into the hands of the group um, and that the group is um, within, you know, large swaths of the northern population reviled because of these types of tactics that it's taken. And, um you know, that has in some ways, you know, stood in the way of that organization, you know, being able to um, be stronger than, than even it is today, for example. So the task of basically taking down a government, which you said is one of the objectives of Boko Haram and creating an Islamic state, a lot of that is going to have to deal with the legitimacy of said government. So what is Boko Haram doing to create a crisis for the legitimacy of the Nigerian government? So I think, I think in terms of, you know, legitimacy, and this is something that we actually really delve into in, um, in our paper. Um, you know, when we think about um, Boko Haram being an insurgency and think about kind of the required response um, to an insurgency, which we suggest should follow the tenets of a kind of counterinsurgent approach. So something that is whole of government in nature that takes on not only the military aspect of the conflict, but also the economic, um, the development, um, and, and that it be population-centric, um, you know, in a way that protects people. Um, you know, so we kind of like build, pivot off of that idea you know, one of the things that, that, that Boko Haram has really been able to do is undermine um, in the mind of the Nigerian people, particularly in the north, the idea that the government can protect them. Um, and this has just been, a, you know, a big problem um, that the military has been operating in the northeast, Nigerian military, um, you know, since 2009 ongoing operations. But civilian casualties are, you know, very high and, and not only perpetrated by Boko Haram, but also by the military. Um, and this has to do with the military's uh, ability and capabilities and preparation to kind of do the type of warfare um, that would be necessary to defeat kind of a, an organization like Boko Haram and the tactics that it's using. Um, but, the, but, but Boko Haram has really, um, you know, undermined the civilian population's trust in its ability 
protect them um, and, and, and to keep them out of harm's way from, from the group. So there's a quote from this paper that I'd like to um, quote, and I was wondering if we could discuss it because it really falls into what you just said about this, what the government can do to actually instill security back in Nigeria and it, you know, in the minds of its people. And you say that because Boko Haram is an insurgent group which is sustained by localized grievances and conflict dynamics, we argue that a starting point for devising an effective response should be following the tenets of a counterinsurgency strategy. I was wondering if you could discuss this and what that might look like. Sure. So, um, you know, kind of after we had diagnosed the organization, diagnosed the conflict and, you know, landed on this, this is an insurgency, um, you know, with underlying grievances and causes and all these things, um, you know, an, an appropriate response to that type of organization, uh, that type of conflict is this kind of broad-based whole of government um, approach. Now, our next step was to kind of try to understand, all right, so has the Nigerian government been taking this type of approach or not? Um, you know, maybe they have and it's, and it's not working. And, and so, you know, maybe we're looking at the problem wrong. So what we did is we did a detailed analysis of, you know, all of the, we, we actually identified eight tenets of counterinsurgency that the government should be supporting. Um, and so we did an assessment of everything that the Nigerian government has done over the past six years and tried and bin, the, bin them into those, those, those different um, pillars of counterinsurgency. So, have they been building government legitimacy? Um, have they been cutting off support to the insurgency from both internal and external sources? And if you read the report, you can read all about the different, all the different eight different tenants that we um, that we identified. And essentially, what we ended up concluding from that analysis is that no, for the most part, the Nigerian government has not been supporting all of these different, um, uh, you know, counterinsurgent tenants. They're not in earnest, taking on, for example, the underlying causes, the economic disparities between the North and the South, the issues of corruption, the issues of good govern of bad governance, I should say, the issues of you know lack of rule of law. Um, they're not doing these types of things, but what they are doing, plenty of, is the military, um, the military kind of pillar of that, which is which is which is certainly part of any robust counterinsurgency. Um, campaign, um, but it's only, you know, one part of it. But the Nigerian government to date has really just been kind of, so to speak, putting all its eggs in that basket. And, um, you know, what our, what our analysis is, is that they haven't been doing it well. They haven't been doing it effectively. Um, they've been doing it in a way that, you know, they're committing human rights abuses. They're um, committing civilian casualties, they're doing all of these things that are essentially undermining their ultimate goal um, of defeating the organization and kind of getting in their own way and perhaps even going so far as to contributing to the perpetuation of the conflict. So you mentioned this idea of maybe a whole of government approach to dealing with Boko Haram, but with your findings, is the Nigerian government even capable of doing this? So, um, so, so, okay. So the word capable, um, what, so what we found is that there is, there is an, there is an attitude 
in Abuja, in Nigeria, about what this conflict is. And there is a perception, um, you know, within many of the political elite, all the way up to the top in Abuja, that this is a terrorism problem that requires a heavily kinetic counterterrorism response to essentially wipe out or eradicate the group. And so that's in the strategy they've pursued. And you will hear rhetoric, um, you know, as, as recently as last spring from, you know, folks within the government, the National Security Advisor, for example, saying that they were going to switch to the quote-unquote softer approach, which would look more like, you know, a kind of whole-of-government approach. Um, so the government of Nigeria, at least in rhetoric, has recognized that this might be a better approach, but we really haven't seen it translated, um, you know, in any kind of real way, in any kind of concrete way. Um, so, um, so, so, so I, I, I can't, are they capable? I can't say whether or not they're capable. They just haven't, you know, um, the Nigerians had an outbreak of Ebola, uh, last fall. Um, and I believe there are up to 72 people who were potentially exposed, but they had a robust response to that potential uh, threat in Nigeria that involved multiple agencies communicating with each other. So um, I'm not convinced it's an issue of whether or not they're capable, um, but I, I, I do think that there would need to be, uh, before anything else, a major adjustment in the attitude of the government in terms of what the response should look like before they you know, will even think about kind of executing that. And have we seen a lack of response or a lack of adequate response in the past towards other situations that threaten the Nigerian government? Is this a new thing or is this sort of a way that it works there? Is Yeah, is this just something that they just don't have that much of an incentive, even though it seems like they should? So um, I think there's a lot of agreement that, um, that the, the night, okay, okay, so in talking just about the Boko Haram conflict, let's start there. Um, I think there's a lot of agreement that, yes, the Nigerian government, there's no doubt, was very late uh, in recognizing the degree to which this is a threat to northeastern Nigeria and potentially, you know, the whole country. But they're very late to the table on this and, 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 and wide, wide agreement on that. I think, though, you know, if you look at kind of the Nigerian government's response to past conflict, to kind of past, um, you know, uh, I don't want to say insurrections, but, you know, kind of revolutionary type movements or secessionist movements, the African war, the civil war, for example, um, you know, there, there, there is, and, and actually other kind of um, jihadist like groups in the Northeast um, in the past, you know, the government response has been historically to kind of go in, crush the, you know, attempt to crush the movement with the military you know, wipe them off the face of the earth, so to speak, um, and, and be done with the problem and life goes on. You know, and, and this has worked for the Nigerian government in the past. Um, and so, you know, one of, one of the things that we found is that, you know, there appears to be the belief within elements of the Nigerian government that that can work again in the case of Boko Haram. Um, but... Uh, all, you know, there's much evidence to suggest that that is, that is not the case um, and that it is not working in this conference. Earlier in the talk, you alluded, alluded to root causes, and that is a major issue, as you said, of 
dealing with Boko Haram, dealing with this insurgency, what type of measures could actually be used by both the Nigerian government and even potentially the international community if they wanted to get involved to help tackle this issue, not just on a military level? So, I mean, I think this gets back to you know the, the earlier issue of, you know, kind of the, the major minds, the required major, you know, change in mindset about, you know, what the conflict requires in terms of an effective response. And so if we go back to the example of, you know, the economic disparities and the infrastructure problems, and you look at issues of um, education, literacy rates, for example, in the North and the South, you know, much um, higher among certain you know, populations in the South and in the North. This is certainly one area that if the Nigerian government decided, you know, okay, um, you know, what we're doing today, it's not working. It's not getting better. It's actually getting worse. We're ready to shift the approach. We're ready to take a more um, broad-based, whole government um, approach to this problem set. We're ready to start to get at some of these underlying root causes that, you know, we now see are, you know, contribute to the, to, to, to the, to the birth of this, this organization and to its perpetuation and evolution over time, you know, start to look at uh, economic programs, for example, you know, how can we channel national resources in ways that, um, you know, build skills in the North, um, um, you know, or get at some of the underlying economic issues, you know, how do we improve education and literacy rates, you know, are there job programs, um, you know, so that's just one example, um, you know, to start to get at some of these issues of the economic disparities and you know, the Nigerian government, um, you know, unlike some other governments around the world that are dealing with, you know, organizations similar to Boko Haram that don't have resources. So if you think of a, of a country like Yemen, for example, you know, Nigeria, you know, has, has a lot of oil wealth. It has resources. It has money to spend, um, you know, to potentially invest in these types of programs that would start to get um, at some of the underlying causes. Um, you know, so that's one thing that we think through um, as part of our analysis and recommend. Um, but we're, we're not seeing this today. The U.S. government, however, in its assistance to the Nigerian government, uh, have been attempting to do these types of activities. And a lot of our aid and assistance, you know, goes towards supporting um, these types of economic um, development activities. And on that point, Nigeria is among one of the United States' top partners in Africa, and therefore its continued stability is really crucial to the future of U.S.-Nigerian relations and U.S. interests in, in the continent. I was wondering if we could look at this a bit. You know, what are the interests? You know, it's, it's a partner in Africa. So how is this conflict affecting our relationship here in the U.S. with Nigeria? So, um... Yeah, so I mean, as a starting point, Nigeria is it's a you know it's a top top partner to the U.S. and Africa, long-standing relations and an important partner for economic reasons, for security reasons. Um, you know, there, there's no doubt that there has been tension between the two governments concerning the Boko Haram conflict um, for some time now. Um, you know, just setting that aside, you know, for a second, um, that's not to say, though, that the relationship isn't in good shape in other areas, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the entire U.S. US Nigerian relationship 
is not, uh, you know, in, in, in peril, I would say. Um, but there are definitely tensions in terms of how the two co- governments view this conflict uh, and, and what is required to effectively address the conflict. So, you know, I mentioned earlier that as part of our analysis, we assessed everything that the Nigerian government, you know, had been doing against those kind of coin um, pillars. We did the same for the U.S. government to see, okay, as a supporting partner, we've been working very closely with the Nigerians, you know, in trying to help them deal with this Boko Haram problem. You know, what has our activities looked like? And what we found is that, you know, the U.S. government is taking a more whole of government, you know, coin-like approach, um, you know, to the conflict. However, we're trying to, the U.S. government's trying to do that with a partner that isn't. Um, and so, you know, to us, that suggests that, you know, maybe, um, you know, the U.S. should be rethinking a little bit and retorking a little bit kind of how we're approaching the problem, um, given that we have a partner that does not see, um, you know, the problem set the same way that we do. And you just mentioned that the U.S. is approaching this situation more with a coin, a counterinsurgency strategy. What kind of strategies are we doing? What are we implementing in Nigeria? So, um, you know, and we, and we go into great detail in the report, but, the, the, but, but for example, um, you know, there is a, there are, there are development programs, um, and we have programs, you know, the U S government has programs in the Northeast dealing with, you know, gender issues and health and education. Um, uh, the U S government, um, supports a lot of programs having to do with, with governance and transparency and uh, you know, democracy-related programs, a lot of activity related to the upcoming elections or to monitoring, um, you know, building the rule of law, um, dealing with human rights issues. We also do activities related to countering violent extremism, preventing violent extremism. Um, so, um, you know, the U.S. government... Um, you know, in its programming, if you look at its programming and how it's spending its resources in Nigeria, um, it does reflect a whole-of-government approach. Now, the one piece that I haven't mentioned yet is the security piece, the the security relationship. Um, And this is, you know, the one that um, is where we're kind of seeing the tensions between the two governments um, in that, you know, the the Nigerian government has diagnosed this uh, in a particular way, and they are interested, you know, and they have been interested in, in gaining certain types of weapon systems and equipment and things like this that they believe will help them defeat Boko Haram. Um, and there isn't, you know, uh, agreement all the time between the U.S. government and the Nigerian government um, on that issue uh, in terms of the U.S., you know, providing those types of things to the Nigerian government. And so this is a definite source of tension. And potentially, what is the U.S. government's reservations providing certain weaponry that the Nigerian government wants? Do they think it's going to be eventually turned around and used against them? Uh, Is it just a security risk? What might be the motivation of not providing them with certain things to help counter Boko Haram? Sure. So I think there's um, there are a few. Um, I, I mean, first of all, there's a, there's a, there's a lady law. So this is, there's a legal issue in terms of, um, the U.S. not being able to provide, um, uh, you know, training and equipment to, to units that, um, are known to have committed human rights abuses. 
Um, so units must be vetted. So there's, a, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole host of, you know, activities that have in the past been, um, been prevented because of human rights abuses on the parts of Nigerian units. So that's, that's one piece of it. Um, you know, there's also, there's also real concerns about, um, the Nigerian military's um, abilities um, to, or, or even willingness to, once they kind of acquire the weapon system or particular capability, you know, to be properly trained on how to use it. Um, you know, there's concerns about, um, you know, if you give them kind of a high-end um, weapon system or a, or a helicopter, for example, you know, um, you know, are, are they going to be able to use it in a way that doesn't lead to civilian casualties, for example? Um, you know, these are, these are complicated systems that require training, that require maintenance. Um, and, you know, uh, are the Nigerians really invested in, 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 in doing all of those things to make sure that they're using those systems properly and effectively? Um, and then, of course, I think you, you kind of alluded to this, which is, um, you know, a third possible uh, area that, we, you know, we, we would see some concern on the part of, of the U.S. government potentially. And, and, and this is, you know, things that we've seen, for example, with, um, with the Islamic State. You know, in Iraq, uh, where where a group like Boko Haram, for example, was able to, um, you know, uh, to essentially um, acquire those those weapons from um, from the from the national forces by um, you know raiding barracks or raiding caches or you know simply trouncing a unit and stealing all their weapons. Um, and we've seen this in the case of the Nigerian military already. Um, with Boko Haram, you know, just essentially taking their weapons. And so the U.S., uh, I would think, would most certainly have fears about that that happening with Boko Haram as well. That seems completely valid. Um, I was wondering if we could look at how this situation is affecting Nigerians' neighbors because Boko Haram is encroaching on areas like Chad, Niger, Cameroon. So what type of effect is this having on the neighbors of Nigeria? So this is so 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 that's right that's right. So this is something that um, you know appears to be increasingly becoming a problem for the region and for Nigeria's neighbors. You know, and our starting point would be you know because the Nigerian government hasn't been dealing with the problem in the way that it should be as an insurgency, it is continuing to spread and to metastasize and now increasingly um, you know uh, cross borders and affect um, Nigeria's neighbors. Um, you know, Cameroon, um, we know that there are, you know, encampments in Cameroon. They've been conducting regular attacks and raids in northern Cameroon. This actually isn't news. It's been going on for some time, but it does appear to be accelerating, or at least it, it was up until uh, a few weeks ago um, when, um, when when Chad's military got involved. But we can go back to that if you'd like uh, later. But, yeah, and so, you know, and then you had your first kind of attack in Chad and in Niger. Um, as well. And so, um, you know, a, a, a potential trajectory for this conflict is that as long as Nigeria is not going to kind of take on this problem as it needs to within Nigeria's borders, it's going to be increasingly um, a problem for Nigeria's neighbors. And what are its neighbors doing to protect themselves then, since this is a security risk for them as well? So, um, so I can begin to talk about this because most of the research that we did for this particular problem focused really on on, on what was taking place within Nigeria. Um, but certainly, um, you know, we do know that um, 
the government of Cameroon um, and its military, you know, has been responding rather in a rather rather robust fashion to the problem set within Cameroon for some time now. Um, you know, sending up um, its military, um, which um, you know has worked with U.S. forces and training, and um, you know has has so so the kind of the kind of bottom line assessment that I've heard, at least on the side of the Cameroons, is that you know. Uh, the political will that does not appear to exist in um, in Nigeria to have existed in Nigeria to kind of take on the group uh, does appear to exist more in in Cameroon within within the government of Cameroon. So you're seeing a response in Cameroon. Um, you know, in recent weeks we've been hearing more and more about Chad and more recently Niger sending in their actual actual military units to conduct operations against Boko Haram within Nigerian territory. And of course, we've been hearing reports that um, there's been um, quite a bit of success in taking back villages, in, um, you know, clearing out areas, in killing militants. Um, and um, and so uh, this has been going on at least for the past, you know, several weeks. Um, and as far as we know, it's, you know, it is with the approval or what have you of the government of Nigeria um, in terms of allowing these forces to come in and conduct these operations within their borders. So going back to your findings and on this topic, and I'm going to quote you, uh, quote the paper again. You say, we recommend that instead of depending on the government of Nigeria to counter Boko Haram, the U.S. government considers taking a coordinated multinational approach that places Nigeria's neighbors, which we've just spoken about, in a more central role, along with international partners. So to implement this and um, go about doing this, what would this look like? How would this take place? So, um, so really the thinking here is that, you know, because the Nigerian government is not on board, so to speak, 100% for taking on this problem in the way that it really needs to be approached. The U.S. government should consider, uh, and given that the, the you know the, the the problem is is beginning to spread increasingly across borders um, and impacting um, Chad, Niger, and Cameroon, which are you know two relatively stable African countries, strong partners to the U.S. Um, and we already have, the U.S. already has, you know, existing relationships with all three of these existing um, security relationships and ongoing military engagement. Um, you know, so for the U.S. piece of this, um, you know, and, 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 and you know, in, in, our, in our thinking, um, you know, we recommend other international partners think similarly. You know, how can we tailor existing engagement activities, so training, equipping these types of things, to focus on this particular problem set, um, you know, uh, and, 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 and so, you know, for example, um, you know, how do you work with the government of Niger, Chad, Cameroon, you know, we do a lot with those countries already on kind of border security issues, but, you know, tailoring those border security programs to dealing with, you know, the border with Nigeria where Boko Haram is, is you know, operating. And then think about, you know, are there additional programs and, and, and activities that we should be doing, um, you know, kind of taking a closer look at this problem and how Boko Haram is affecting these countries, you know, through a similar kind of conflict assessment type process that we went through with Nigeria to try to figure out, um, you know, 
is there is there is there a kind of nascent incipient insurgency in Cameroon that's now taking place? We don't answer that question in our um, in our analysis, but you know that's kind of feeding off of similar grievances that exist in Nigeria, and therefore should um, programs start to address those problems in Cameroon as well? You know that's kind of you know an example of something that we would that we would think would require a closer look. Um, yeah, but one of the things I will point out that we do say in our study is, you know, we we're think we think of our kind of proposed strategy shift as preventative is the word that we use, um, and so we don't recommend, um, you know, and, and and things kind of moved forward very quickly. We kind of completed our study um, before the, you know the, the the military of Chad you know went into to Nigeria and, and started conducting operations, but we did not recommend that as part of our, um, you know containment prevented strategy. Um, and, and one of the reasons we had thought that through was that, you know, because we found that the, the, the performance, the, um, the activities of the part of the Nigerian government in terms of human rights abuses, um, kind of clumsy tactics that result in civilian casualties, all of these types of things that have gone on to fed, you know, feed this conflict, um, we we would we would we would want any actor, the U.S. and anyone else included, to be very wary in thinking about how neighboring or regional militaries deal with this problem, um, and to make sure that these militaries aren't just repeating um, you know, the mistakes, the known mistakes of what the Nigerian government has already been doing. Um, and so that's a very what we feel is a very very important thing. Um, to raise as we think about what a regional response should look like. To bring the talk to a conclusion, and looking at this idea of a regional strategy, why don't you give us a concise breakdown of your findings, your final analysis, what could help this situation? So I, I think... Um, you know, our assessment is, um, is is basically, you know, the U.S. government um, in many ways has been doing all it can, all that it can um, to deal with this problem set. And, and, and we find that, you know, it, it's really in the hands of, of the Nigerian government and the Nigerians, you know, to make the decision to change the mindset, um, you know, that... That, that that it's really there. It's really in their hands to be able um, to solve the problems within Nigeria that have given rise to this conflict, um, and that you know the United States and other international partners stand by, um, you know, to 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 support them when they are ready to make that change, um, you know. But short of that, um, it is going to be you know very very difficult to end this conflict. Um, you know, you may have short-term setbacks where the, you know, the military, of, you know, the, the, the Chad is able to clear towns, clear um, villages, you know, reopen economic um, lines of communication that were previously closed. Uh, but, but those, you know, are likely to be short-term, maybe for several months to a year or so. But that until these kind of underlying root causes and tensions are, are addressed by the Nigerian government. Um, you know, we just really don't don't see how there's going to be a long-term fix to this conflict. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show, Julia, and we will definitely post a link 
to this paper so that our listeners can read it for themselves and see the analysis in more detail. But just once again, thank you for coming on the show and providing us with this good detailed conversation about this uh, ever-evolving topic. My pleasure. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Sophie. Thank you.